The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And you've probably already began to figure out that we are kicking off the new year with a new series. We're calling it Hearing the Voice. And I'm hoping that this is going to be really accessible and beautiful and transformative for you. You'll, you'll find out really quickly that Sean and I are really excited about this. Obviously, we're excited about the Bible. We spend a lot of our time teaching you the Bible. But we also think that if you knew some of what we knew, if you'd experience some of what we'd experience, that you would be at this place that you would also feel like this is a really, really amazing opportunity. But some of us have conflicted relationships with the Bible. Some of us have had what feels like a failure. Anybody commit in a new year, like, I'm going to read the Bible more. And then you started opening the Bible and going, I have no idea what this is. And you didn't follow through on it. And you just felt like I did. there are only four honest people in the room. And, and you just, or how many of you have had people come to you at some point? I, I think I learned um, in church growing up, we call the Bible a sword, Right. And I think some people thought it was a sword that we would use to hurt other people. We'd actually use the Bible to tell other people how wrong they were and how right we are. If you've ever had the Bible used against you that way, it, it feels really disconcerting, right? When somebody, and you don't know how to argue with it, they said the Bible, right? And it's just like they quote it back to you. Well, I had... Um, an experience actually early on, you're gonna to get to hear from young Pastor Chris today. Uh, you'll barely be able to recognize him. Years ago, I was doing a CNN interview about one of the cool things we were doing at Ecclesia. We were doing our Stations Across thing. And some of you remember years ago, uh, we did Stations Across, but we did them through tattoos. So we had designs of different tattoos that told the story of the stations and people got them. And they interviewed me on CNN. One of the reasons I don't like being on CNN is they never get my name right or our church name right. And then years ago, they decided, this host, uh, Randy on CNN, decided she would um, use the Bible against me. And, uh, and this is how it went. Well, in a lot of churches, people with tattoos are a rare sight. But at the Ecclesia Church in Houston, Texas, one of the pastors is embracing people with tattoos. In fact, he has encouraged some of his members to get tattoos to demonstrate their faith for Lent. Photos of their designs being incorporated into an art exhibit. Chris Say is that pastor and he joins me now. Uh, pastor, tell me first, where did this idea come from? Well, Randy, I was reading a book called Cruciformity that was about embracing the suffering of Christ. And every year we do this show of the Stations of the Cross. It's, uh, it's been a, a beautiful thing we do every Lent in telling the story of Jesus. And this year we just decided to embrace an art form that's pretty common among our people, but hasn't maybe been commonly embraced by the church. But it's a great way to tell the story of Jesus' suffering and ultimately of his resurrection that we celebrate on Easter. So are lots of folks taking part? Well, you know, this invitation wasn't for everybody. So we have a lot of people that already have tattoos, but we invited people to do it. We only needed 10. We created 10 uh, of the Stations of the Cross. And uh, the invitation we made to everybody that we've shared and passed on to many churches, uh, I talk about in, the, in my most recent book called A Place at the Table, is one to embrace the suffering of the poor, to eat as the poor would eat during Lent. There are a few that we've said, you might want to get one of these tattoos. Remarkably, we've had about 60 people so far mm. uh, get these tattoos. And it's displaying in our art gallery here in downtown Houston and, uh, and telling the story of Jesus in a way that a lot of people are really connecting with. And that's, that's what we get excited about. Well, I understand that, that you got one of your own. Is that correct? 
I did. So I got the the resurrection tattoo. So can you this show it is. To us? Uh, I can. Let me show you. So this is you know literally life coming from death. So this tree emerging from the coffin that reminds us that Jesus rose again and that we will all rise with him. I've experienced a great deal of loss this year, not only of some people in our church that we love, my grandfather, who was a longtime pastor here in Houston, his name, I call him Papa, he's on my tree. And he's this reminder to me that uh, this life is not all there is, which is at the heart of the Christian message. It's the one I wanna talk about. That's what I get fired up to tell people mm. about. Uh, we have some uh, a photo of you actually getting this tattoo. Uh, I can't imagine how painful that might have been. But I, I want to ask you about <laughs> about uh, Leviticus 19.28, because it does say that you shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks upon you. I am the Lord. So what do you say to those who might look at your tattoo and the others and say, this isn't right, this is just simply wrong? Well, I'd, I'd say like every place in the Bible, you have to read this in context, right? So it was about, in that culture, particularly what tattoos meant. The verse before that also says not to cut your hair or to ever trim your beard. So if anybody's had a haircut, they've violated uh, Leviticus 19. Um, but no longer does cutting your hair or getting a tattoo mean that you're a part of worshiping a pagan god. So in our culture, it means something quite different. In fact, uh, about 30% of people under 30 already have tattoos. And in the urban context we're in, it's much higher. And it's a way that people are telling their story and inviting people to understand uh, who they are. And so we'd say it's a great Bible lesson, really, to learn how to read the Bible well. And in Leviticus, there was a particular meaning and the great part is now you get to go read Leviticus and figure out, okay, what was that really fully about? Cutting hair or getting tattoos or any of the rest of it. If we thought it violated scripture at Ecclesia, we wouldn't do it. We think the scripture is our guide. And ultimately, we want to invite people to read the scriptures and to encounter uh, the living God that we know that loves everybody. And we think that means loves people that have tattoos, people that don't shower very often, people that are really poor or are really rich. Uh, Pastor Say, a very interesting take, and uh, I love how you're demonstrating the faith for Lent. Uh, thank you very much for your time, and nice tattoo. So, so Ecclesia. <laughs> if you ever decide to use the Bible against someone, read the verse before the verse you're reading, and it will help you decide whether you should do so or not, right? Th this is the truth about the Bible. There's always more going on than you realize. And, and the truth is, the Bible is a sword, but it's a sword that should be used more like a scalpel for us to look at our own hearts and our own lives, right? Never to cause harm to someone else. And this is my hope and prayer. And Sean and I have talked and prayed a lot about this in this series. Like we really, if you got one of us in a corner at happy hour or for coffee and what you'd hear is like, we really love the Bible. And we really think that if you knew more about how to read the Bible well, like really read it well, that your life would be better, that it would be really good. And that um, it would help you recover maybe from some of the things in the places where the Bible might have you felt like done you harm. Um, I want to promise you it's better than that. So I got six things today, and the good news or the bad news for you is you're the 11 o'clock, and I've really struggled, as you just found, in getting in a little late to get through all six of these because I'm a little bit fired up. So at the 10 o'clock at the west side, I went a couple of minutes longer than I'm supposed to, and I always tell people, don't do that, and I did it. So, um, and Wayne almost had to just read a random passage to you for no reason. 
just to stall for me, right? So um, I don't know if it's good news or bad news, but there's six things and I think they're really important enough that I'm that fired up about them. So here's the first one and you need to know this, that the Bible is not about a worldview or a culture. This is the thing. There are a lot of people saying, well, this is, this is how you see, the, you see the world in a biblical way. There's a biblical worldview, right? Well, guess what? There are a lot of worldviews in the Bible. You want to know what's amazing about the Bible? Truly amazing is that the inter- it's truly the intersection of the Eastern worldview and the Western worldview. The Old Testament and the New Testament are reflective. The Old Testament was born out of an Eastern worldview. The New Testament is born out of the beginning of the Greek language and the Western worldview. And part of what it's telling you right at the beginning is your worldview is not important. Christianity can dwell in any and all worldviews. Now, there are things that may be good or bad or better or worse about certain worldviews or certain cultures. My son has the awful privilege at times. And by the way, if you want the Bible to be used against you, become a pastor, right? And have kids. Because then what happens is you'll preach things, right? I know my kids are coming after me when they go, all right, Pastor Chris, right? When they say that. And then they'll quote something back that I said in a sermon, right? It's awful. It's it's painful. Um, But one of the hard things about having a pastor dad is that my kid, uh, my youngest Uh, Christian, he's at a Christian school and they have a Bible class, right? And he was assigned to write an essay on the biblical worldview. Well, here's the bad news of having this pastor dad. I don't believe there is the biblical worldview, right? The biblical worldview is a way to say, I'm right and you're wrong. There, There are many worldviews. And the good news is Christianity can dwell in those worldviews and in those cultures in different ways. It really is the good news of Christianity, And it's part of what, in Houston, we have to remember. Like The beauty of this church, by the way, is that it's the intersection of so many worldviews and so many cultures. And what we get to do is then figure out how does the message of Jesus and the way of Jesus thrive in this place? And that is a great conversation. And I think it's a great way to live. So there's not one biblical worldview or right culture. Anybody grow up in a church that literally the idea was missions where you were exporting this Western worldview. So we had to get people in Africa to like listen to pipe organs and wear choir robes and stuff. I'm like, nobody wanted to do that. They don't want a pipe organ in Africa. There's no, it doesn't make any sense, right? In fact, what we learn is the music and the way and the culture and the food in Africa. And in fact, the way my African brothers and sisters read the Bible it helps me a lot. They see things I didn't see. My Latino brothers and sisters see things that I didn't see. My brothers and sisters from Asia see things that I didn't see because their worldview gives them a new lens and a new perspective. And that is really good. It's not bad. So how did we get the Bible? This is part of what we are going to get to talk about in this thing. And this is what you need to know. Sean said it on a video that he sent out to some of you in preparation for this, and I thought it was really profound. This is what he said. He said, the Bible didn't make Christians. Christians made the Bible. You get that? The the Bible didn't create Christianity. Christians actually came up with the Bible. Why? That's a good question. We we get it today um, on your seats. And at the connect table on your way out, we've given you some copies of the the voice of Luke. So one of the reasons that you wonder, like, does Chris really love the Bible this much? Part of what you may or may not know is that the Bible that we use at Ecclesia often is called the voice. And uh, it was a dream of mine to be a part of a Bible translation 
that really brought out the uniqueness of the fact that the Bible was a library. If you'll notice a lot of Bibles you're gonna read, it feels like it's got one literary style from beginning to end, which makes no sense because in the original language, the apocalyptic literature you find in a book like Revelation or Daniel feels really different than a casual letter written by Paul or poetry written in Genesis or Hosea. Um, and, and so I got to lead a team of almost 100 people, and one of those is the voice of Luke, and we got a bunch of them, so you get one for free, and you can just read, and you'll see a lot of it is laid out like a script, because one of the things I struggled with in Bible reading was sometimes I couldn't tell who was talking. They, they'd be talking, I'm like, is that Jesus or a disciple, or who is it? And it's just laid out really simple, and my hope and prayer is you just read Luke over the next, literally, you could read this in a week with no problem, and you just read it and go like, the story of Jesus, it's... It's pretty awesome. So how do we end up with it? The writer of Luke tells us this in Luke chapter one. The writer of Luke says, this is how we ended up with the Bible, basically. He said, for those who love God, several other people have already written accounts. He goes, I'm gonna write down what I saw. Other people are doing the same. They're writing down accounts of what God has been bringing to completion among us using the reports of the original eyewitnesses. Now pause here for just a second. Luke is saying this. He's saying, I... I wrote this down and I wanted you to know it because it changed my life. This, this is what you need to know. The reason we have the Bible is simply, it's one thing. The reason that we have the Bible is because there was one event that changed everything. It's the resurrection. And when Jesus died, there was a moment that these guys were all like, well, this story's over. What are we going to do next? The thing that happened was three days later, Jesus reappeared. And that's when Luke and John and all their other friends and everybody started looking around going, this is different. This is not what we expected. We need to write this down. And, and the whole mission changed when Jesus was resurrected. So in Luke, Luke's explaining, we started writing it down because we knew it was going to be important. So we're using the original uh, eyewitnesses, those who were there from the start to witness the fulfillment of prophecy, like those other servants who have recorded the messages. I present to you my carefully researched, orderly account of these new teachings. That's what Luke is. Luke's really different than John. John may be my favorite gospel because it's just more personal and John's kind of talking about himself and he kind of brags about himself like Jesus loves me more than you nah, 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 nah. and he has this like, I'm faster than you and I, I run, like he's just like this really very real guy. And they're just telling their authentic stories from their perspective. And Luke, Luke goes on, right? And he says, I want you to know that you can fully rely on the things you've been taught about Jesus, God's anointed one. He's saying the Messiah. He says, I wrote all this down because I want you to know what it is. In Acts, this is what it tells us in Acts 2, that they were talking as they gathered about Jesus, the one who has raised, whom all of us have seen with our own eyes and announced to you today. Why does the Bible exist? Because more than 500 people saw Jesus after he was dead. And when they saw him after he was dead, they went, this is, this is world changing. This changed us and other people need to know. John writes about it. In fact, at the end of John, he says it better than almost, he says, if I wrote everything down that Jesus did, if I wrote down all my experiences, he said, it would more than fill the earth. I couldn't, I couldn't even begin. Anybody have a kid like that? that you're like, if I did it, wrote down everything, like how much more spending time with Jesus? And this is what he said. He said, these accounts are recorded so that you too might believe that Jesus is the anointed, the liberating king, the son of God, because believing grants you the life he came to share. 
John says, I wrote it all down because I believe, I saw it with my own eyes, and I want you to believe too. Now, I think reading the Bible, and particularly reading these Gospels, ought to be and is really, truly life-changing. This is what I want you to think about. As we walk through this, if you think about the Bible, less is like, ooh, the Bible, it feels so like I need to not mess it up, or I need to like take my hat off when I read it, or what, I don't know what you think. But instead, would you think about it as historical documents about an event? They're historical documents about an event, and this is the event that catalyzed it all, the resurrection. And that makes it really, really important. Thirdly, um, this is what I hope you realize through this series, that the Bible is way better than you realize. Many of you have passages or stories that you've gone, these confuse me. And I'll be honest, there are passages that still have spent my life studying. There are passages that confuse me. But the, the, dig, the, the deeper you dig, the more you find out, what you're gonna find out is this is really good news. I promise you. You may think there are these passages that are really confounding and difficult and you go like, I just don't get it and I don't know why these stories are there. And what you're gonna find continually over and over and over again, this really is good news. It's good news for everybody. No matter what book you're talking about, anybody have a passage or a book from the Bible or a story that really confuses you, that's really hard for you? Just say it out loud. We've been doing this in all the services. Like one that you struggle with. Job, Job's a hard one, right? Job's one that you're just like, that's a great, but Job, right? Is, it's, what I love about the Bible is that there are books like Job that are filled with angst and suffering and like, God, are you even there, right? It's the honesty. What, somebody said revelation over here. That's come up in quite a few of the services. In fact, Keith, one of our pastors told me like, don't skip that one in any of them, right? Because if you're like me, I grew up, anybody grew up in a church and you thought, that Revelation was a book about the rapture? Anybody surprised to find out that the rapture's not in Revelation? Anybody surprised to find out that the rapture's not in the Bible? It doesn't exist. It's not there. You know what Revelation is? This is the sad part. We've made it this scary, overwhelming book. Like Revelation, if I could summarize it in just a sentence, if I had to summarize it in a word, it would be hope. It would be hope for those who are suffering. Revelation was written by this, the older version of that guy, John, that wrote the book about how fast he is and how awesome Jesus is. And he wrote it in a really personal way. He was also a poet. You know, if you read Revelation properly, this, I think Revelation is more like um, political satire. It's, it could be on Saturday Night Live. It, it's John's way of saying to people being persecuted by the empire that the empire is a joke. These people that think they have all the power, John's saying, I've seen behind the curtain and the emperor's not in charge, God's in charge, right? And, and it's literally, as you read it, it's hopeful. It's not predicting the future. It's not, I know you've heard some things like that. It's, I, actually, it's not what it's about. It, as you read it, you'll find it's really good news. What else? Any other books or stories that you struggle with? Leviticus, right? We're going to spend some time in Leviticus, right? This is what I I promise you as we dive into Leviticus. You're going to find, one, it is confusing to just read on its own. You're going to find that it's good news, that it's hopeful, that God is setting up some sense of order that leads to something actually really, really beautiful. Any other books that, stories, yeah. 
First Timothy with women. So like, there are, somebody mentions Ephesians 5 at the last service. So this is what you need to know. When the Bible is written, it is written in the context of many different cultures. And in those cultures, there were different views about a lot of different things. And the Bible doesn't take them on all in particular in those passages. But what you get as you read the fullness of the Bible is a clear understanding that God made men and women equal, that women are central to the story, and that there are places. And again, you can read the Bible and try to slant it one way or the other, but the truth is like women funded the ministry of Jesus. Women were the first witnesses of the resurrection. Women in the Old Testament are super important as prophets and judges, and they're super central to what God's doing. There are a lot of our churches that focused on certain passages in Timothy or in Ephesians 5. And what we got to do is look at the fullness of the Bible. What we know is that it elevates women at every opportunity. And I think as we dig into it, you're going to find it's really, really good news. Somebody in the last service brought up Jonah, right? And, and what happens is with some of these passages, we look and we go, well, I don't get it. It's a whale and a fish and a guy and a swallow and I don't, I don't get it. Like, and, but do you know what the story's about? I mean, I'm telling you, there's not a better story for today than Jonah. Jonah's a story about ancient Israel that's about what's happening in Israel today. So literally, the story is this. God says to this guy, Jonah, hey, guess who I love? I love Hamas. He says, none of but today it means Hamas. He says, I love those people. Like, what? We hate those people. Nineveh were the enemies that persecuted, that destroyed, that besieged, that pillaged everything. These were our enemies. And God said to Jonah, go tell them that I love them. In fact, if they repent of the evil things they do, they'll experience my love fully. And Jonah is basically to God like, no way. That's the kind way to say it. No way, God, am I doing that. Whatever you want to think about a fish or a whale or what it did, I don't know what it is. But basically, Jonah got thrown out of a boat and he ended up in the place he didn't want to be and he was super mad about it the whole time, but he did it anyway. And then when he told them that God was actually loving and would forgive, the people that he hated actually went, wow, that's awesome, that's great news. Which made Jonah even more mad that they received the good news because he hated them so much. And at the end of the book, he's, lay, he's laying under a tree that won't give him shade. And he says, God, kill me. I'm so fed up that these people actually receive the good news that you're a loving God. Now, I got to tell you, that's a story we need to listen to today. Because there are a lot, and it fits, by the way, with the full trajectory of the Bible. I mean, there are a lot of people in the, all the services, something's come about judges or passages of violence. You, you got to hear this. If you really, really read the Bible, if you really read the Bible, you will in no way ever be able to think that the Bible advocates violence. You won't be able to say it if you really read the Bible because the embodiment comes through Jesus. And there's no one, ask Gandhi, ask Martin Luther King, ask anybody, there's no one that teaches us more about standing against violence with peace than Jesus. He endures the most violent death and no retaliation. He teaches people things nobody ever heard. When people come against you, turn the other cheek. Now, this is in a world in the Middle East that I will tell you it's still today, the base ethic 
is if you hurt me, I'll hurt you worse, right? That's what's happening today. And so what happens? The cycle of violence never ends. The only way out is the Jesus way. And yet, right, you, if you read the Bible, you, you can't just get lost in one battle or one place. What you gotta read is the full trajectory of the story. This is what I want you to hear, and I, I don't think I'm gonna convince you in three minutes, but this is what I want you to know. The Bible's really good news, and there's way more going on than what you think. And if you'll be patient and we dig through it together, really good things will happen. So thirdly, the Bible's better than you realize. Fourthly, this is what you need to know. Here's the worst way to read the Bible. You wanna know the worst way to read the Bible? Read it alone. If you read the Bible by yourself, you're gonna think some weird things, right? How do you not read it alone? Well, you read it with people. We're gonna give you some options and ways to do that, to read the Bible with other people that know God and love God and are learning. You read it with other books and commentaries that fill you in on gaps and pieces and cultural clues that you're not aware of because some of it is written in a different context and culture that can be hard to understand. But if you just get, and I know we always have this romantic idea of like, my grandmother just sat and read the Bible and what a great thing. And like, that, that's good. You're like, I want you to read the Bible. Just know that if you read it all by yourself, you may end up confused. You may end up with some ideas that are way out there. And it may not be as edifying as it should be. I'll tell you, I was preaching a sermon like this in the early days of Ecclesia at the beginning of the year. And I said, like, let's read the Bible more this year and it'd be really good. I had this kid in the church. He was like, great, I did. And around late February, early March, he said, I want to meet with you because I've been doing what you said. I read the Bible every day and I want to talk to you about what I've learned. And so we sat down and I've been reading the Bible and man, I keep reading the Bible. And he said, it just keeps telling me one thing over and over. I'm like, well, tell me what it is. He, the Bible keeps telling me to smoke more weed. And I'm like, what, what? And he's like, yeah, I keep reading it. It just keeps saying smoke more weed. And I'm like, what? Like, where'd you get in the, and he's like, I read this passage and that passage. I'm like, what? And it's like Moses and the burning bush. And like, it just like, it's just making sense to me now. And it's all coming together and you're just like, no, no, that's not what the Bible's telling you. Like, I promise you, that's not what the Bible is telling you. But if you read the Bible all by yourself, you may come up with some ideas that are a little off. But if you've got a small group at this church and you, you lean in, good things can happen. And this is what I want you to hear. We've been listening to you and we understand your life is complicated and there's a lot going on and you want to draw closer to God, but you can only do so much. And a lot of people are like, I want to commit to do something, but I'm only willing to commit to something that's like 12 hours away, right? And I get it. We're going to ask you to do a little bit more. But as a part of this series, this is what we're going to ask you to do. We're going to create a bunch of groups. We've got a bunch of people being trained today to, be, to lead some groups that are four weeks long. I promise you, if you take four weeks to learn more about how to read the Bible well, with people, by the way, and this is the real advantage, when you go to an Ecclesia group, people are always like, I don't know if I'm gonna like these people, and you end up like, these are the coolest people I've ever met. I just promise you on your row, I know some of you today, and you're sitting next to people you don't know, you're like, if you knew how awesome they were, your life would be better. So this is what we're asking you to do. If you'll go to the website and just, if you go to ecclesiahouston.org slash events, you're gonna have a chance to sign up. We're gonna structure a lot of these groups so that they're before and after the service. You can come to the service, go to the group. We're gonna make it as simple as we can make it for you. Four weeks. And if you'll do that, I promise you, it will be a better year and you'll gain some understanding about the Bible and, and read it with people that actually care. Two more and then we'll come to communion. This is what I love about the Bible. It tells us, this is what I was talking to the kids about. It tells us who we are way more than it tells us what to do. 
If you grew up and the Bible is used as this like rule book and you're never good enough and you're, anybody just hear sermons, you felt like you were never good enough, never good enough. Like that's not the Bible. If you hear a voice telling you you're not good enough, that's not the voice of God. That's the voice of the deceiver. What the Bible does so well is it tells you, look at Ephesians. Ephesians is a great book. What does Paul do in Ephesians? You would think he's writing to this church and he'd be like, hey, you got to stop doing this. You need to do more of this. But this is what he does in Ephesians. He just takes chapter after chapter and he keeps telling them, you guys are awesome. You're children of God. You're made in the image of God. You have these beautiful gifts. And he keeps telling them who they are, not what to do. He gets to some of that at the end, but he keeps telling them who they are. This is what I want you to know. If you read the Bible well, it tells you who you are. Anybody have a a family story that at some point you began to connect that that family story shaped you in ways you didn't realize. I, I tell this story often at Ecclesia because it was one of our crazy family stories that my dad was raised by his grandfather, my pappy. And pappy uh, was a one-armed truck driver. If you've heard me about, talk about pappy. I, when I was a little kid, I just thought he was the coolest because he drove a dump truck with one arm. And that meant his one arm was really strong. And I was a kid, I remember just playing with his flap and flapping it around and like, what's going on? And finally I asked like, Pappy, where's your arm, right? And I learned it was a story nobody wanted to talk about. And when I was an adult, I learned the whole story. And the story goes like this, basically, my Pappy was at a bar, very close to what is the Galleria now, but this is early Houston, there was nothing out there. And he gets in a fight because he thinks this guy has mistreated a woman and been violent with a woman. And he beats this guy up. And at the bar, he beats this guy up. He thinks the guy leaves, but the guy goes out to his car and he comes back in with a gun and he shoots my pappy in the arm and it severs his arm. Now, already finding out, we're like, that's a better story than what we thought. I thought it was like a work accident or something. He, you know, fell off the train or I don't, I don't know what we thought, right? But as the story goes, my pappy with one arm severed takes his good arm and he picks this guy up and he throws him against the wall and it kills the guy. So already we're like, wow, that's kind of a crazy story. The, the crazy part for me was that I knew that story for a long time before I put the pieces together to realize that what happened to my pappy that day was that after he'd killed a man, he, he didn't go to jail, it was self-defense, but he was so ashamed of it, he, he turned inward, right? He didn't talk about much. He did his job. Very simple man. Never spoke of anything emotional or difficult. It took me way too long to figure out that my pappy was the primary male role model for my dad because my dad's dad died and he raised him. And my dad, there's no bigger influence on me than my dad, that what happened to my pappy wasn't just some story, it was my story. Like my ability to engage something hard actually is rooted in that because that story shaped me. Does that make sense to everybody? This is what you need to know. The Bible is that. When the Bible's telling the story of what happens in the Garden of Eden, and again, Genesis, another great book that's misunderstood, right? You get intimidated by Genesis because you've heard all these creationists, right? It, that, I'll be honest with you. It doesn't make any sense what they're talking about. Just, Genesis is not a science book. It's poetry. By nature, it's poetry. You read it. If, if you hear some Christian like, well, they need to teach it in science class. Well, which creation account do you want them to teach? Because there's two in Genesis, right? Why are there two? 
Because they're both literal and they happen? No, because they're both poetic and they're trying to explain to you how much God loves you and how much God loves the world and how he made the world. Does that make sense to everybody? And that, that's not bad. Not reading it literally is not bad. It's actually good. It's more powerful than that. It's better than that. And so that's my hope. I'm going to end up preaching a different sermon if I keep going. Here's the last one. This is what I want you to hear. And this is what I think you're going to find as we dive into the Bible. The best truth is the truth that you can touch. There, the Bible's filled with truth. Now, sometimes we use truth and propositional truth with a little edge towards other people. And I just got to tell you, any energy you have to try to tell other people they're wrong, it's just wasted energy. The, the Bible's really good at helping us figure out where we're wrong and where we can do better. But this is the great thing about the Bible. When you read it well, you're doing what you're going to see that Jesus and Jewish people did. They're telling a story. And what, what, did, what happened when people came to Jesus with a question about the Bible? You remember? They'd ask Jesus a question and Jesus would do what? He'd answer with a question. And then there'd be another question and another question. And ultimately it would lead to this like, how do we figure this out? How do we live? How do we do better? How do we? And that's really good. If we'll do that, how many of you just go like, my life would be better if I spent a little more energy learning from the Bible how to be kind to other people. Like, that'd be, I, that'd be good for me. There's nobody here that's like, you know what? I am so patient. I need to be less patient in 2024. <laughs> Anybody have a resolution to be less patient? Or any of us that are like, no, I probably need a little, like, I need to focus on the things that are more important. Anybody find you got worked up about something that wasn't important at all? Like, the Bible helps you do better at that. And, and this is the truth. Jesus said, I speak the truth, but he also said, I am the truth. The best truth is the truth you live. Now, what's the best Bible? I'll tell you. It's the one you'll read. I spent time on a translation. I like it. I worked really hard on it. I don't care. Whatever Bible you'll read, that's the best Bible translation. Find one that you'll read. I'm offering you one in Luke. Um, you can start with and see, like, can I read this? Like, and this is my challenge to you. I dare you to read it for the next five days and not want to finish it. I dare you. It's a good story. And this is the thing. You may think you know the story, but in Luke, it's a little different than you think. There's more going on. And if you'll dig in, you're going to find that that's 100% true. So I've taken more than my time. Would you let me pray for you? And would you contemplate with me the possibility that the Bible really, really is good news. And that if we read it together, I promise it's more progressive, it's more hopeful, it's more loving than you think. At every turn, I believe you'll be astonished by how good it actually is. And here's the better news. We don't worship the Bible. The Bible's really helpful. But it's the God of the Bible that we're most excited about. So as we come to communion, I want to invite you to say, God, what would you show me in 2024? And what should I do? Should I be a part of a group? Should I read this Gospel of Luke that's in front of me? What would you offer to me? Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.